0: Good morning, everybody. Morning. It's good to see you. I'm just gonna say it until people zone out and don't even hear it anymore. But um, that Jim, the whole search team deserves some serious thanks. It was a lot of work, a lot of interviews, and some. There was one week where I think they spent three or four nights here doing video interviews with people. Um, so if you get a chance, say thank you. And then uh, Jim, just above and beyond in terms of the way he's run the process. Um, I know for me and probably for you, um, finding someone who's going to do a great job and get our church and move us into the future was really, really important to me, (laughs) uh, because of how much I love this community. Um, and I think to everyone on that search team and all of you too, and Jim has gone above and beyond. So if you ever get a chance to, you know, buy him lunch, or coffee, or a drink, or give him a big hug, or, I don't know, babysit and let him and Gail go out. Gail's been huge, too, because Jim's been so busy um, with this, along with his own job search. So, uh, and it's really worked out. I, if you haven't met Angel, I think you're going to be very impressed in short order. So thank you, Jim, wherever you went. There you are. And everyone on the search team, thank you very much. I feel relieved and encouraged, so there you go. All right, so I want to start um, our service by showing you a clip, which I hope sets up what I'm going to talk about. I might let it go a little bit longer. Usually, rule of thumb is, uh, when I'm preaching, to only show a clip for like three minutes or less, but you know, hey, it's in my last few weeks, so what the heck, let's let this one run a little bit longer. I hope you like it.
1: So why do people reply to spam emails? You know, I mean, it's odd, isn't it, given the fact that they are preposterous. And they are preposterous. I got your contact from a South African health officer in Ghana. I find that unlikely. (laughs) I need to move a thousand carats of polished diamond. Equally unlikely. Note this transaction is 100% risk-free and does not attract any danger. (laughs) Commander (laughs) Coroma. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, this is ridiculous, right? And it's it's funny that anyone would reply to it. But if you think about it, this is actually rather clever. Because by making the scams ridiculous, ideally for the scammer, the only people who are going to reply are the most gullible people. And me, <laughs> I said I'm in.
0: <laughs>
1: then he told me to email Liberty Law Firm at lawfirm.co.uk, which is an amazing email address. Then <laughs> he said send me your phone number. So I, uh, I gave him the phone number of Goldman Sachs, the bank. I wanted him to think I was rich. I probably shouldn't have done that because the next email I got said, James Veitch, I'm not sure you are real at all. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me phone numbers at a bank, which I call and they say that you are not real, that they don't know you. They even advised me. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I'm an army intelligence, is that a a thing? I didn't know what to say, I said look, there was never a shred of doubt in my mind that I was dealing with an intelligence. (laughs) How can I prove to you that I'm real? I mean, how can you prove that you're real, in truth? How can any of us feel?
0: <laughs> <we are>
1: <laughs> P.S. What are you sending me? I've forgotten. <laughs> I said, the contents of the consignment is a thousand carats of rough diamonds worth 7.5 million dollars. You and I will use it for investment in Europe. I said, that's amazing. What are we going to invest in? I'm not much of a stock market player myself, but I've got a strong hunch. Hummus is gonna be big. (laughs) Can I have a picture of the consignment? Well, guys, yes I can. Boom. (laughs) Enigma, right? Then he said, send me your ID, passport, driver's license, or any, any, of your valid ID. (laughs) (laughs) It was valid at the time. (laughs) Then he said, you will need to set up an account with our bank and pay the fee. This is quite common, like, he has multiple email addresses. He pretends like it's another company. And I thought about it, I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I thought I'd throw something into the mix just to see what he did with it. So I said, look, I'll set up a new account with your bank. There's an offer of a free toaster on at the moment, and I've got my heart set on it. He said, don't worry about getting a toaster. <laughs> I thought, I'll be the judge of that. And then he told me to contact this bank. Now, the bank is masquerading as Royal Bank of Scotland, right? But what I love is their email address is info at (laughs) royalbs. Which I think is perfect. And then he said, don't delay. I don't have much days here on Earth. (laughs) I said, when are you leaving (laughs) us?" (laughs) I have not seen anybody that is more unserious as you are. Even if I die soon, do you have to mock me with it? Just go. I said, dude, I had no idea we were talking about your death. He said, what were you thinking I was talking about? Am I going to mass? (laughs) I said, where's Matt? (laughs) Ooh, is that where the toaster is? (laughs) He said, sorry, I mean Mars, one of the nine planets of the solar system. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a shock. <laughs> I figured I'm done with this guy. I'm going to send an email to Royal BS, right? So I sent them an email. I said, look, dear Royal Bank of Scotland, I'm writing to you about some bling lieutenant commander who's leaving me and a free toaster you're giving me for opening the account. They go back to me very quickly. They say, please send us the the account opening form. And there is no free toaster. <laughs> Raj Ramesh, head of costume of care. I thought, these guys are good. (laughs) Dear Costumer Care, (laughs) are you sure? Because I heard I was getting a free gift for opening the account. What sort of costumes do you do? (laughs) He said, there is no bonanza going on. And that that did strike me as an odd choice of word. I think, right, what must have happened is he must have looked at the word competition in his language, and found a synonym which was bonanza, but it still struck me as odd. And then he said, and even if there was, conditions would apply. (laughs) And I'll be honest, that pissed me off. (laughs) Because you cannot tell me the conditions apply to a competition that I literally just made up. So what I did is I, I opened up uh, Photoshop gonna be and uh, I took a day, yeah, gonna be uh, and uh, I sent them something. I made and sent them something. So this is what I said. I said, "Then how do you explain this?" And this is uh, this is what I sent. Free <laughs> 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 toaster. With any new account, so a banana! And then check it out, guys. No conditions apply. <laughs> I thought, get out of that. A- and he did. He said, uh, that do not include Royal Bank of Scotland worldwide. <laughs> I said, what are my options I could do with Newcastle? <laughs> So we will appreciate it if you do not bring up this gift me again because you will get me. <laughs> I said, just to be clear, you're saying if I bring it up again, I won't get it. If I don't bring it up again, I will. Or you're just saying I won't get it at all. <laughs> Please stop talking <laughs> of a free toaster. I thought I've almost done it, right? I've almost, I'm almost, because part of me just wants, really wants to kind of annoy them almost as much as they annoy us. And I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like a broken man. (laughs) Do do this at home. Do do this at home. I mean, don't use your own email address. It's a fake email address, but do do this at home, because not only do you have a chance to to stop them doing actual damage, but it's also a chance to, to have fun, to play. That being said, I thought I'd back off a bit. I said, "Uh, of course, I shan't bring up again. You have my word. I said, what we want from you is to do the right things. I said, I've done some research.
0: So um, I'm sure you can see how that ties into the, the gospel of Jesus, right? <laughs> but our topic today is honesty. And uh, when I saw this earlier this week, uh, it reminded me of honesty. You know, the, uh, the Bible is famous for the ninth commandment, uh, which you may know is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor or as people usually refer to it as, do not lie. So today, I'm really hoping that I can convince you uh, that this is actually a really big deal and that uh, honesty, uh, not lying, truthfulness is important to the health of your very essence, which is a big claim, right? So I'm actually saying this is a big deal. As much, hopefully, we're having fun and we're laughing And I'm hoping that opens us up to the idea that this makes a big difference in our life, uh, more than we would expect. So here's my thesis right off the top, and that is that lying attacks the essence of who we are. But seeing ourselves through the eyes of God can restore our sense of integrity. And that's where we're going today. And I'm using the word integrity on purpose because I think it helps us understand what is at stake When we're talking about honesty, so integrity uh, comes from the Greek word integer. Now, does anyone remember your grade school math? Okay. Uh, Does anyone know what an integer is? Oh, there's someone in grade school. What's an integer? You had your hand up in the back. What? Oh, too much pressure. What's an integer? Yes, it is a number. What is key to it being an integer instead of something else? It's a whole number. Wow, you guys remember this. I only know this because I read it somewhere when I was prepping for this. I didn't remember that. So an integer is a whole number, which means it's not divided. There are no fractions, right? It's just a whole number all by itself. And I think this is a concept that can help us make sense of what integrity is. Integrity is being a whole person. A person that's not divided, but a stable and secure person, no matter what the situation or environment you find yourself in. Integrity, simply put, is wholeness. So if we were to restate that famous commandment number nine uh, in a positive way, instead of saying do not bear false witness, we could say be a person of integrity. And today we're going to see how important that is. Uh, Thanks. I I heard a sermon on this years ago by Tim Keller. It really helped me out. So I want to give credit there. Uh, So let's read Psalm 15. This is our main text for today. The first five verses, and it says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Those, or, or whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slurs on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Now, this is a psalm that discusses what it means to be a person who is rooted, has a solid foundation, who is never shaken, a whole person. And if you notice, the author connects this state of being, of being a whole person to, excuse me, to integrity. Let's look at that. The truth about becoming a whole person. The first idea I'd like us to consider is that whole people can feel all right without doing others wrong. Can feel all right without doing others wrong. So it says... The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. So I think we can see here that the one who will not be shaken speaks the truth from their heart, utters no slander, casts no slurs. What they say reflects the reality of what is true. And this is important because the psalmist highlights in these verses how the words we speak can hurt the people around us by pointing out that those who reflect reality, quote, do no wrong to a neighbor. There's something about reflecting reality that helps us not hurt the people around us. In other words, when we misrepresent reality, when when we lie, when we tell an untruth, we hurt the people around us we undercut their personal sense of well-being and dignity. What I'm saying is misrepresenting reality undercuts the dignity of others. So generally, when we tell a lie, generally it's self-serving, right? It's to help ourselves. When we're trying to protect our image, our prospects, our reputation, we, we aren't really thinking of the other person's interests, but rather we're protecting our own we're creating in others a misperception of reality that will benefit us with little regard for how it affects them. Now, this can take all kinds of forms. It can be a straight-up lie. It can be exaggerations, half-truths, even sometimes misleading silences. So when we find out, and here's how you know I think you can relate to this and understand that it's true. When we find out that we have been lied to, It really cuts, right? And there's often a sense of betrayal. And betrayal is when one person pretends that you're important, when really something else is more important to them. And when we lie, we tell people around us that my well-being, my reputation, my security is more important than yours. I misrepresented something to benefit myself. I used you... To my own ends. Are you tracking with that? In essence, you are less than me. I can use you. And this undercuts the dignity, the sense of value that we're all created to have, that God wants to protect with the command do not bear false witness. Now, remember, uh, or maybe you don't know this, but a little background this is number nine of the big 10, right? The Ten Commandments. And the historical setting of the Ten Commandments uh, is that it's written to a group, a, a newly formed nation that had spent all of their known time as slaves. And God writes to them and gives them commands and things to do to help break them out of the mentality that they were raised in as slaves. Their are instructions written to a people who know nothing but slavery, who had been degraded, treated as less than, owned. And God gives the commands to help them see themselves in a new light and protect them from treating other people the way they had been treated. He's trying to build up their sense of integrity and value and identity. Now you might say, oh, wait a minute. Sometimes, sometimes, I shade the truth for the benefit of others. These sort of white lies are to protect the feelings of people. I'm more concerned about them than me. Some examples might be, Phyllis, you haven't aged a day. I would love to go, but I'll be out of town that day. Or your answer to, what did you think of my short story? Your answer to, the famous, does this outfit make me look fat? Now, often we think that when we shade the truth in these situations, we're helping the person that we're speaking with, right? At least we're sparing their feelings. But if we look a little deeper, I'm not sure that we always are. You know, On the surface, we're being nice, but in the end, I'm not sure that the approach is always helpful. See, the problem can be that harmless lies also undercut the dignity of the people around us, just like self-motivated deception. So when you shade the truth, even in an apparently benevolent way, you are basically saying you can't handle the truth. And the other people in our lives that we often take this approach to is children. You know, I grew up in the church, and there were certain quote-unquote adult stories that I never heard about from the Bible until I was an adult and started reading for myself. And I had a lot of experiences like, wait, 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 let me read that again, what? (laughs) He did what? And there's rape and there's incest and there's murder and adultery going on everywhere. I probably wasn't ready as a small child to process all of those things. Some of them are really traumatic, but I like to think I'm not a small child anymore. I like to think that I can handle more of reality. But I think it's important to remember that when we hide the truth from the adults around us, that we are treating them like children. They aren't mature enough to handle the truth that I can handle. Now, I'm not encouraging any of us to be cavalier or rude or inconsiderate or mean or thoughtless in the way we handle the truth. There's a lot of nuance But I am asking us to consider that how we communicate the truth can be loving or not loving. But we need to remember that harmless lies are often belittling. They can be unintentional ways of looking down on other people. And also, harmless lies can turn our friends into cynics. If they can't believe you, who can they believe? Who can they believe about anything? Next, people who cannot be shaken is this, whole people keep their word, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, a promise is an appointment you make for the future. In other words, just as forgiveness frees us from our past, a promise frees us from our future. It's a way of saying that I will not be controlled by my surroundings or my impulses or my genes or my history. And we tend to think that we must not keep promises if they're not meeting our needs. That promises are, that are binding steal our freedom to be happy. But when we do that, I think we fail to realize that when we break a promise, we're actually becoming slaves to the thing that we choose in that moment our glands, our past, our feelings. Promises actually provide for us self-determination so that we're not ruled by the impulses in our lives. Promises affirm that we're human beings with the ability to see beyond the immediate and make decisions for ourselves. Uh, There's a famous play called A Man for All Seasons. Some of you know I used to study theater back in college. And... um, It's also, I think, an Academy Award, made into Academy Award-winning film. And it's the story of Sir Thomas More. And it's set, or at least part of it is set when he's in prison and under the threat of his life from the king to take an oath declaring that the king's new marriage is legal, even though in More's eyes the king is still married to someone else. So um, Sir Thomas More's daughter, Meg, comes to him to beg him to take an oath to spare his life. And Meg says, then say the words of the oath and in your heart think otherwise. And Moore says to her, what is an oath but words we say to God? When a man takes an oath, Meg, he's holding his own self in his own hands like water. And if he opens his fingers, then he needn't hope to find himself again. See, when we lose our word, we lose part of ourselves. When we lose our word, we lose part of who we are as people. We aren't whole. We're saying that everything around us rules who we are, and we lose a sense of identity. We become fractured and defined by the pressures of our lives. Now, I will say this. Sometimes it's worse to keep a promise than break it, We all make mistakes, and sometimes we have to recognize we made a promise that we can't keep or that wouldn't be good to keep. And then in those situations, I think it's better to ask for forgiveness and do the right thing. So there's some nuance here. But in general, when we we lose our word, we lose a part of who we are, a part of our wholeness. Also, whole people are who they appear to be. In verse 1, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent who may live on your holy mountain, the one who speaks the truth from their heart. And here, what someone says is in line with who they actually are. So, uh, a hypocrite is an actor, right? Someone who pretends to be one thing, but in reality is something else. Someone who uses their words and actions to misrepresent reality to those around them. And it's really easy to take out the most obvious hypocrites uh, in the news or on television. But if we understand the root of hypocrisy, we might have more compassion, and maybe even see ourselves more clearly. And the root of hypocrisy is really this, that I can't be accepted for who I am. I can't be. I won't be accepted for who I am. I have to put up a front. I have to adopt an image. I, I have to show something else, or I'll be rejected. And hypocrisy is, is sort of, it's, a, it's an unwilling recognition of our need. And all it does is unwittingly undercut our sense of well-being by fragmenting who we are. We're one person in one environment and another in another. And the beginning of the solution to this is honesty. Just simply admitting our need. Now, when I say that, though, you might think back to the psalm that we've been basing most of this talk on. You might notice something here. If we admit to having our need, haven't we then also admitted that we've failed Psalm 15 and are therefore doomed to instability or being shaken, as the psalm puts it? Let me just say, it. let me suggest the answer is not that, that no, that's not, not what happens when we admit our need. That admitting our need actually opens the door for us to something that we ultimately need. And that is this, a new sense of identity. Or maybe a renewed identity. So the very next Psalm after 15, so Psalm 16, is this. Let me read it to you. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is, in whom." is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Whole people cultivate integrity by developing a deep sense of identity. But the identity is no longer based in ourselves, or the best thing that we can put forward, but instead, in the eyes of God. So in this psalm we see, For in you I take refuge. You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. So the antidote for dishonesty, I think, is this. God, who do you say I am? And the opportunity of the cross of Christ is to be in Christ. Through faith, we join with him. We are in him as our shortcomings and sins are put to death on the cross. And in him, we're raised to new life. And we stay there. We relate to God As people who are in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So when we look into the eyes of God, we find acceptance. Acceptance that allows us to know who we are. And it is this knowledge that can free us from the need to lie to protect ourselves that can free us to give our word and follow through, that can free us to build others up with our words instead of use them to build ourselves. And that can bring a wholeness so that we also can be open to hearing the truth or even just someone's best take on the truth and really consider it without our sense of wholeness or wellness being on the line. And I wish I could live this more authentically and sincerely. That's not easy for me when I hear criticisms, particularly when I'm tired, when I'm feeling like I'm failing in certain areas of my life. My defenses go up. I get defensive. We all want the truth. But if we aren't whole or aware that we are in the process of becoming more whole, we can't handle the truth. I struggle with this myself. And when our personal integrity is not settled, the truth is scary, right? Our heart rate goes up. When someone wants to share something they've noticed in our lives, and we can tell it's going to be a challenge. How am I going to feel about myself after I hear this? It's threatening. We can't hear it from other people because it seems like an attack that could topple us. When really, when our identity is settled, it can, as Jesus said, set us free, the truth. So, anyone relate to that? Anyone? So how can we find this wholeness in God? It's a great idea, isn't it? Doesn't it sound wonderful? How can we see acceptance when we look towards God? It's not easy. You know, everything promises this, but my thought and what I'm banking on is that only God can truly deliver it. So I have a few thoughts. Maybe one of these will help you. And if you flip your... Fill in the blank section over. You can take some notes if you want to. Um, But I would say this. Building practices into our lives that force us to engage with these ideas. Or let me put it in the U form. You can build practices into your life that will force you to engage with these ideas. Sometimes if we discover the thing that we keep turning to, that we're hoping is going to give us the boost that we need to help us feel settled and like a whole person, some of those things you can fast from. What is it? You know, you go on social media. Do you, uh, you do some comfort eating? What is it you do? You can fast from those things just as a, a prayer to say, God, I know that this need is bigger than this thing, but not bigger than you. So I'm going to put it to the side for a while in hopes that I can connect to you more. Uh, What are some, another thing you can do, daily ways to reflect with gratitude on the blessings that are in your lives, to note the reminders of God's love and care. Another thing you can do is with your friends, choose to believe that they have your best in mind, that if you share your doubts and weaknesses, they're going to be there for you. And as Paul puts it, he calls it boasting in his weaknesses, talking about him. You can do that gradually <laughs> to get a little taste of whether the person is going to still accept you and be with you, but it's so much better than hiding everything for fear that you'll lose that friend. That way you can develop some real friendships that will actually build up your sense of identity as they accept you for the real you. The next thing you can do Offer other people grace when they disappoint you or have a failing. This is huge. Treat them like you'd like to be treated. And then the last thing, I would just say pray for a mystical connection. Something that you can't work up or make happen on your own, where the Spirit of God communicates to your spirit, your value, your integrity, and creates a deeper sense of wholeness. That can come in all types of settings, come through a relationship, come through the worship time of musical worship we'll have in a moment. But pray for a mystical connection and see what happens. Next, how do you offer honesty to other people? Let me give you three tips, three questions to ask yourself. When you notice maybe something in someone's lives that might need to change or or might be a, a challenging conversation, ask yourself this. Is it apt, A-P-T, apt, appropriate. By that I mean, is it what you would share true and helpful? A lot of true things aren't necessarily helpful. So use a little wisdom. Pray about it a bit. Is it true, first of all? And is it helpful? Second, ask yourself, is it kind? Sharing this, will it build the person up or tear them down? Even if it's true, right? If it'll build them up, by all means. But if, if it's going to tear them down, you need to pray about that a little bit more and think about it. Maybe there's another way, another way to be honest. And third, so first, is it apt? Is it kind? Third, is it in season? By that I mean, check the timing. It could be true, but not really what God's up to in that person's life right now. There might be some bigger things or other things. I have lots of imperfections. If I... the If people came to me and pointed them out to me every single day, that would just be demoralizing. What I really need is people with a sense of God's timing who can see what God's up to, and then it can be really encouraging and helpful. What's God up to? If it's what He's up to, as far as you can tell, it might be the time to share it. If it's not, it could just be a distraction. So, how do I offer honesty? Is it appropriate? Is it kind? Is it in season? Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy to want or think of ourselves that we want the truth, that we want people to push us. We want to know where we can change. When in reality, <laughs> uh, it's the thing that scares us the most in our, in our practice. Help us to find safe relationships Uh, where we just know we're going to be accepted no matter what mistake we make. Uh, We know there'll be forgiveness. We know there'll be grace. We know there'll be understanding. We know there won't be judgment. I pray there'll be a general culture of that in our community here and relationships for every person in a seat today and those who couldn't make it where they experience that. And next, God, I just pray in whatever setting, whatever practice leads to it, whatever environment, That you would continually be communicating to us um, your delight in us, your pleasure in us, your acceptance of us, uh, what it means to be in Christ as an experienced reality. Uh, That your goodness would be what we expect and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.